0: If you have your Bible, if you'd uh, open it up or turn it on to Luke chapter 7, this month we've been in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, we've looked at four different stories, we've looked at a soldier, a widow, we've looked at a prophet, and now we look at a sinner. And as I began to think of this uh, and look at this text over the past month and specifically this week, I thought of Those people, you know what I'm talking about? Those people, Uh, the murderers, the adulterers, uh, the drug dealers, uh, those homosexuals, those abusers, the list goes on, right? Those sinners, those people that are sinful. Then I think about other people, some of the outcasts, the people that, uh, man, we kind of stray from, uh, the homeless people that we see. Or if you look at Jesus' time, the beggars, the lepers, the tax collectors, The demon-possessed. Well, as I reflected on those things, I came across a study that happened uh, in 1970 on Princeton University, and there was a social psychology class, and they did an experiment with the Princeton seminary students. And they had the seminary students prepare a talk, a biblical talk, and they said, here in Building A, you're going to prepare your talk. And then they sent them to building B to go and preach or to do their biblical message to uh, an, in another building. And they gave each one a different degree of urgency to get to the diff- the other building. And what they did is, as they sent each student, they had an actor who was posing as a homeless beggar in need and was asking for help. And their study was to see how many of these seminary students that are training to be pastors actually would stop and help this beggar. And sadly to say, the number was very low. And you may think, well, if students are preparing to be pastors and they can't even help this person, then who can? What we look at today is how we judge people. Are we people uh, that see other people? Do we see them the way Jesus sees them? Or are we religious people that see people with sin? and we have judgment. Maybe the best question for you and for me is how do I see Jesus and how do I see myself? This morning the big idea from Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 is this, our sins which are many are forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ through faith in Him. Would you look at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. I'll be reading through verse 50. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Word of God. Amen. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to your truth. Help us to evaluate our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. Thank you for the cross. We ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some people mix up this instance with another instance towards the end of the Gospels. It's another separate time. It's another woman uh, that enters in and does a similar act with Jesus. Here we have this woman which comes in, and the text never calls her a prostitute. And you know what? When I was studying this week, I had to stop because I had titled this sermon, A Prostitute's Story. Now whether she's a prostitute or not, it never tells us in the text. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can't just put that title because traditionally people put that on there. It says she's a sinner. And as I begin to look at what Jesus is teaching this Pharisee, it's like, wow, how do I view other people? Am I just like Simon the Pharisee? Or do I have the eyes of Christ to see this woman as he calls her to see? Three times in the text, it calls her a sinner or says she has great many sins. And three times it states that Jesus is the only one who can forgive her. So let's look at this first point in number in verses 36 through 38. We see this uninvited, undesirable guest. We don't have anything that says that the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus yet. We know that later in the gospel accounts, they purposely do. It seems like this woman shows up. Simon, who is a Pharisee, invites Jesus, says, come to my home for a meal. We don't know if there's other Pharisees there or not, possibly. We don't know how many people are in the room, but they are there. And it says in verse 37, behold, a woman uh, of the city who is a what? What's the key word here? What is it? Sinner, when she learned that he, he, Jesus, was reclining at the table, she comes in carrying this alabaster flask of ointment. So for some reason, this woman's this woman's sin um, are well known in the city. She's infamous, according to uh, Simon the Pharisee, as a sinner. Or you have to say that that sinner. You know, how, however bad it sounds, she's known that she enters in, and it seems like she's uninvited. She comes in and changes up the atmosphere of what is going on. But think about if she's uninvited the possible great fear in her heart to walk into this religious man's home and also the great courage for her to show up and to uh, invade that time, to interrupt the scene. And so she seems to be a nuisance to Simon the Pharisee and she comes in carrying this soft stone alabaster container and it says in verse 38 something that I pray that you pay attention to. We see this great love that she has for Jesus in this moment. It says, standing behind him at his feet. If, you don't, if you're trying to figure out, wait, they're at a table, how is this happening? They would have been gathered around a table that's low to the ground. There would have been pillows or cushions around that they're laying down on their side where they can reach and eat the food, and their legs are behind them. And so this woman comes in behind, standing above his feet, and she is weeping. Her tears, it's not just one or two tears and some sniffles. She's weeping, she's sobbing, and the tears are falling from her face, from her eyes, onto the feet of Jesus. And it says that she wiped his feet with her hair. With her tears, she washes Jesus' feet. And we'll see here in a minute that washing the person's feet Is an important thing when you enter a person's home. This woman who is a sinner, who is a broken person, worships Jesus. Her love is seen evidently in the way that she responds to him. And not only does she wash his feet with her tear and and, and she's drying it with her feet, but isn't this sound kind of crazy? She begins to kiss his feet, she kisses the feet of Jesus, the one who can give forgiveness. I wonder if it's because she senses the very presence of God and she realizes how great a sinner that she is. But she publicly and humbly acknowledges before Jesus, before this Pharisee Simon and whoever else is in the room, that she is someone with sin. And as I reflected on that verse this week, I wondered, how is my response to Jesus? How is my worship of Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is it an extravagant love like you see with this woman here? Or is it distant? Or is it little? Well, she's there in the home of this religious leader, and one of the things that we see with this religious leader is this second point in verses 39 through 43. We see that this religious Pharisee is a self-righteous, inhospitable, holy man. I mean, he's a man that's a Pharisee who's supposed to be leading the nation of Israel to not only know the law and hold to the law and to teach the people, but they're to lead the people in worship of God. Yet what do we see? We see a self-righteous man. We see someone who's inhospitable. We see someone who doesn't see the woman the way that Jesus sees her. He only sees that sinner. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who she is. If this man was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman that's touching him is a sinner. I was looking at this this week, and this guy's talking to himself. In his mind, he's thinking these things. And yet Jesus, who is God, knows all. He responds to him. But the reason that jumps out right away, why the Pharisee is like, wait a minute, you're a prophet. Well, go back to last week. John the Baptist, he asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or are you just another prophet? You know, who are you? We've seen in the Gospel of Luke that it, when Jesus performs miracles, the people praise him say, hey, another prophet has arisen. They miss that he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the only Savior. And so this Pharisee is like, hey, Jesus has been healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons. Man, this guy teaches with power. Maybe he's the prophet that's supposed to come before the Messiah. He's like, if you're a prophet, if you're a man of God, you would know these things about this woman who's touching you. What he means by that is, depending on this woman's sins, her touching Jesus and the law would be like, well, man, you just touched Jesus and made him unclean with your uncleanness. Those are the types of things that would come in the mind of the Pharisee who had not only the law of God, but they heaped upon all kinds, hundreds of other laws on top to try to get you, the the person of Israel, to obey every single one, but they knew that you could not. Yet they were first to pass judgment, and that's why this man is a self-righteous, holy man. If you look at his statement, you see his heart. And it's important to know that sometimes, or actually maybe all the time, the words that come from our mouth reveal our heart. You see this man's thoughts that Jesus uh, responds to. His, this man's words reveals his heart, and he's a religious man. And religious people are experts at seeing other people's sins. Have you ever found that out before? That religious people are great to point the finger first. They're like, oh, we got to, hey, look at that sinful person. And they're so blind to their own sin. Religious people are quick to judge other people so that no one judges them. I found that religious people are generally not friendly, loving people. Religious people are really great at judging others. Turn to Luke chapter 6. We saw this a few weeks back. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus was teaching and It says in verse 37 regarding judging other people, it says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Religious people are people who are churchgoers, who are generally cold, legalists, Self righteous, and probably the greatest problem, works driven. Religious people do things so that they would find God pl- pleased with them. Yet it's totally opposite to what God's word says. Read Ephesians chapter 2 because nothing that any person can do can get them favor with God or forgiveness of their sin. It's all on the work of Christ. Yet religious people stick to the laws and are legalists and are self-righteous, and judge others, and are works-driven. It used to amaze me, and I no longer am amazed when I hear people in the world say, Christians are hypocrites, Christians are judgmental, Christians are legalists. And it doesn't surprise me because many people in this world call themselves a Christian, And they are not. They are religious people who identify with Christianity. And therefore, the world only sees the judgment, the hypocrisy, the whitewashed tombs, as Jesus called the Pharisees. And so many people have been offended in this world by so-called Christians or religious self-righteous people. Look with me back in the text in verse 40. Jesus answers Simon. Again, whether Simon mumbled it under his breath, if he knew who she was, that or, you know, or, it, or thought it in his mind, all of a sudden Jesus stops whatever his thoughts are and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon's like, say it, teacher. And in verse 41 through 42, he tells a story. It's a parable. Uh, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus is the greatest storyteller ever. He always has the greatest stories to tell because they're stories with a teaching point. And so he tells this parable. He's like, hey, there is this banker. This banker lived in Montana, and he happened to give out two loans to people. Well, I was looking up some of the, the averages of, of what people make in Montana in the last year, and the median monthly income is $4,500 a month. So he's, he's like, hey, there's this uh, le- lender here, and this guy owes 500 denaria, or 20 months uh, worth of their, their income. And this other guy owns 50 denaria, or two months wages to the banker. So you've got $90,000 of debt versus $90,000 of debt. And then, then something like COVID-19 happens. And what happens is, is they cannot pay it back. So the banker go to them and say, "We can't pay this." And the banker forgives the ninety thousand and forgives the nine thousand. He says, "You know what? I'm generous today. You don't have to pay any of it back." Jesus says to Simon, "There's a guy who loaned the money. These two had debts of differences, and he forgave them both." in kindness and generosity the banker forgave their debts and he says to Simon which of these two debtors will love that banker more look at verse 43 the one i suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt i was like i suppose it's clear jesus said to you hey 90,000 9,000 of course The person who has the greater debt is going to love greater. And Jesus says, Simon, you've judged rightly. And when you really look at the story, the parable that Jesus is teaching, he's saying this parable is about God and his relationship to his people. That every single man, woman, and child has debt and great debt Debt that's heavy, debt that is burdensome. Uh, in a month and a half ago, our family was watching a, uh, a, a, a cartoon movie of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and the guy, when he was leaving this city, and all of a sudden, this he had this burden on his back that just seemed to grow and grow and grow, and it was a picture of this debt that he owed, the sin that weighed him down, and that is exactly how every single man, woman, and child is before God. Sinners. Put yourself in that position. Sinners. Romans chapter 3. I believe we were there a couple weeks ago. If you read in Romans chapter three, verses nine through nineteen, you see no one's righteous, all have sinned, no one does good. I had someone say, "Hey, Pastor, you were, you were a little harsh a couple weeks ago on that Romans passage." It's not my words; it's God's words. Are we really that sinful? Are we really that bad? Yes. The Word of God calls us wicked enemies of Him. So don't take my words. Read Romans chapter 3. Read Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, every single person has sinned and has a huge, great debt of sin before a holy God. And so this woman back in our text that we're looking at today has a great debt. She's a famous sinner in the city. But this holy man, Simon the Pharisee, was just as great a debtor according to what Jesus is teaching. I love what Jesus does to teach Simon. He does not rebuke the woman. He asks Simon, do you see her? It's the third thing we see in verse 44 through 47. He says, do you see her, Simon? Do you see this woman in your house? Do you see? Really, what he's asking is, do you see what she's doing? Do you see a sinner? Or do you see someone who realizes that they're a sinner who has humbled themselves before God? He says, Simon, do you see this woman? He said, I entered your house. He says, verse 44, he said, you showed me no hospitality You did not give me water to wash my feet. You see, that was a big deal when you would enter someone's house because of wearing sandals and traveling through the dirt. You would come into someone's house, and if you were real hospitable, you would have a basin of water, and you would have some type of cloth, and you would uh, offer that for them to wash their feet, or maybe, better yet, you wash their feet for them. He's like, Simon, you didn't offer me any water. She washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Verse 45, he's, Simon... You didn't greet me with a kiss. The common greeting in their culture. You didn't say hi to me. Didn't shake my hand. Didn't give me a hug. And yet, since I've been in this room and she's been here, she's been kissing my feet. Verse 46, he says, Simon, you haven't given me any oil for my head. Instead, she's anointed my feet with ointment. Again, signs of someone who's showing hospitality to someone when they enter their home. But the point that Jesus is saying is, do you see her? Do you see what she's done? He's like, do you see her love? Do you see her love for me? This woman's love and gratitude is evidence of her acknowledgement of her great debt before God. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many. Maybe we need to highlight that, circle that, underline that. Her sins that are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. When I read that, it caused me to just stop and ask, how much sin and sinfulness of this woman is different from Simon, the Pharisee, the religious holy man? Maybe she committed different types of sin that Simon did not commit. You know, we are good in judging others and going, man, I'm a sinner, but God, I have not done this. Those people over there are great sinners, and I'm kind of a little sinner. I haven't graduated to that sinfulness yet. That's really what you see here. And, and believers can fall into the trap of judging others and categorizing sin because of what we, we, we see in ourselves and what we see in them. And here's what 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 11 says. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There is no way that any of you or myself ever loved God first. You will argue with me and you could be till you're blue in the face. But Scripture says God loved us first. There's no way that a wicked, sinful person automatically just one day goes, Oh, I love God. doesn't happen. can't find it in Scripture. It does happen after the Holy Spirit works in a person's life and reveals to them the truth of the gospel and they see Jesus and the love of Christ and they say, Woe is me, I am a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus. I believe in you in faith. And God grants them salvation. But if you look at what Jesus says and you look at 1 John chapter 4, what he's teaching Simon is that those who find it difficult to forgive others or understand forgiveness are going to show little love to God or other people. I'd have to say this some of the most bitter people that I've ever met in this world are people who cannot and will not and do not forgive other people. And the reason is they don't have a right view of the forgiveness that God offers through His Son Jesus Christ at the cross. But what this does, if you look at this, is that Jesus causes to stop, Simon, look at her, and to look at her story and to look at our story. The fourth point is her story is our story. Verses 48 through 50. Her story is your story. Her story is my story. She's a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And Jesus deals with her sins and he deals with our sins. He doesn't excuse her sins. He doesn't just give her a hall pass. He agrees. She is a sinner. She has many sins, but he says to her in verse 48, your sins are what? What's he say? Forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus sees us in our sin as he sees that woman in her sin, and he forgives us, and by faith in him, believing in Jesus Christ, we are then able to love God. And then love our neighbors. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Again, another passage of scripture of many that show us this story of this woman and show you and I the story of ourselves. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start reading verse 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Now listen to verse 8. But God, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved, by him from the wrath of God. Here it is. For if while we were enemies, some of you wonder, where's that verse about being an enemy of God? Here it is, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Amen. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, while why we are were enslaved to sin and loved sin and chased after sin and only ever sinned at the right time, God showed his love and sent Jesus Christ to die in our place for our sins that we would be forgiven through faith in him. You see, Simon, the Pharisee at that moment, had no need for forgiveness in the sense that he didn't see himself as a sinner. I wonder what happened to his life after that day. I wonder what happened when he walked out of that place after seeing what he saw and hearing what he heard because verse 49, it says, and those who were at the table with him began to say, who is this that he even forgives sins? Like, who's this guy? Only God can forgive sins. And those types of comments come only from religious people, self-righteous people. And if I could tell you anything, religion has no answer to the problem of sin. Religion cannot solve your problem of sin and debt to God at all. He's holy. We are not. Religion cannot make you holy. Religion cannot take your sins away. Religion only brings you judgment and condemnation, which you then put on other people, religious people. Do not have true peace. Religious people have no true joy. Religious people have no true love for God. They are not free from sin and they are works based and they try to work all their life doing something to please God. And if they die without faith in Christ, they die in their religiosity and they go to hell, separate from God. And there are those people at the end of the sermon on the mountain, Matthew, where Jesus says and he's teaching and they say, Jesus, I went to church. I taught Sunday school class. I gave generously. I helped those people. And he said, away from me. I never knew you. That's the religious person who only finds salvation in their works and not in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you go back to that parable, Jesus is the banker. We are the ones who owe the debt, right? How did he forgive us with for a debt? At the cross. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what it says. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, Of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So, again, scripture not only says you're wicked, you're sinful, but you're dead. A dead person doesn't make themselves alive. So, when we were dead in our sins, God showed his love and made us alive through the work of his Holy Spirit because of the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed his blood for you, for your sins to pay for your debt, to purchase you as his own, and through faith in Jesus Christ, not only on the cross, dying, but raising from death to life in the tomb, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're set free, you're given eternal life to be with him forever. Jesus is the banker, we are the debtor, and we are so thankful for his mercy, his generosity, his forgiveness of our debt. Verse fifty. In closing, Jesus says this as he looks at the woman Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. He didn't say, Because you washed my feet, go in peace. You're forgiven. He didn't say, Because you anointed my feet, you're forgiven. No, he didn't say any of those things about her works. He says, your faith has saved you. If you uh, go back and if you read in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, he said to the, the, the friends of the paralyzed man, he says, hey, he saw their faith, and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. In Luke chapter 18, he says to the blind man, he says, hey, your faith has made you well, and Jesus gave him sight. And so we go back to where we started at the beginning of the, this sermon is that the big idea is this, our sins which are many, are forgiven, are forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ through faith in Him. So the question for you and I is, how do I apply this in my life? I pray that the Holy Spirit, and not I, am the one to help you understand that and know that. But some of the things that come to my mind when I say, how do I apply this sinner's story in my life, which her story is my story, is this, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of all of my love, of all of my affection, of all of my life, because He has forgiven me, a man with many sins. And so my worship, is it like the way this woman loved Jesus? Do I love Jesus in a way that we see pictured in the life and the story of this woman? God loved Jesus. Us first and through faith, he gives us the ability to then love him and to love other people. As the worship team is coming forward. I'd encourage you to do this. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're struggling with forgiveness and love of God and love others, let me tell you this: the more that you devour and read the Word of God, the greater your understanding of forgiveness will be and the greater understanding of God's love for you will be. And then love will gush out of your heart for God. Love will flow out of your heart for other people. But it starts with being in the word of God, the knowledge of God that we would grow in his understanding and the Holy Spirit would flow from our heart. Love for him and love for other people. This last week, I was reminded of a hymn. A song that was written in 1855. This hymn is written by a guy named William Reese. And here's the words It says, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never, 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 never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Oh, our sins are many. Our sins are many. But his mercy is greater, his love abounds. His forgiveness is great. Let us praise him from our hearts. And for all who are far off and have heard the gospel preached to you this, today, turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Father, as we sing, we want to sing from our hearts. We want to praise your name. We want to lift you high because you are the one who loves us greatly. Father, may we grow in our understanding of your great love and forgiveness. May love well up in our hearts today and flow to others. May love well up in our hearts and may we walk in a way that every moment is worship of you. Father, for any who are far off and have heard the gospel today, I pray and ask that this is the day of salvation for them and that they would believe in you in faith that you have died for them and paid the price for their sins and rose again on the third day. Jesus, we wait for your return. We praise you as you are enthroned in heaven. May you receive now the praise from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.